Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Welcome you, appreciate you so much. And we're off to a brand new year. If you came in looking down, I'm going to send you out looking up. If you felt heavy, you're going to feel light. If your head was down, it's going to be up when you go out. I have got nothing but good news for you today. Great news. I'm going to talk about God's unimaginable, unlimited, divine favor. And you will absolutely get jacked up before you go out. You hang on. Buckle up. Put your seat tray back in the upright lock position. This is going to be a cool ride. You're going to enjoy this. How many of you ever discovered something from God's Word that was a privilege, a right, a benefit you didn't know you had? And for years, you love Jesus, you're going to heaven, but you live below the privileges God gave you. I did. And I can remember when I would read the Bible, that helped a whole lot to find out what I didn't know and what I could do, I didn't know I could do. What I had, I didn't know I had. And as a result, the enemy was delightful in plundering me in those areas. Now, where I knew, I'm good. But where I didn't know, the prophet Hosea said, my people are destroyed because they don't know. So what you don't know will hurt you, could actually kill you. So we're going to talk about covenant benefits of God's unimaginable favor. I'm going to read first from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18, first four verses. After David had finished talking with King Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between the two of them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, King Saul kept David with him in the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact, a covenant with David, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the act, this pact, covenant, by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his cloak, his coat tunic, uh, his sword, and his bow, and his belt. That was the way they made covenant, Hebrews in the Old Testament. If I took off my jacket, I'm saying I'm giving me to you, all that I am, my character, my integrity, who I am. It becomes you, and who you are becomes me. Jonathan and David made a covenant. When they gave their weapons, the belt and the sword and the bow, it was symbolic of all my ability to fight is at your disposal. Whoever touches you touches me. In other words, for every believer in here, there's more to you than meets the eye. That's part of a covenant you made with Jesus that he made with the Father. So you're a lot stronger than you think you are because of who you have a covenant with. A covenant is the strongest form of agreement that exists on earth. There is the shedding of blood involved. So David and Jonathan entered into this contract, this covenant between each other. And when you enter into a covenant, you're willing to give your absolute best to your covenant partner. Well, David has just killed Goliath. He's just beginning to be noticed on Facebook and Instagram and become popular. He's just a sheep herder at the moment, but Jonathan loves this bold warrior. 
So as we read this, understand it's a picture of the relationship we have with God the Father through Christ Jesus. And in covenant relationship, you give your best to your covenant partner. Now notice, Jonathan was willing to strip himself of his robe. He's Saul's son, the king's son. He's got the best, the most expensive apparel money can buy. Yet he's willing to take it off and give it to this smelly sheep herder named David. And David, in return, has to give Jonathan his old stinking garment. This is very much like our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We, like David, have nothing of value to give God. But God gave his best to us, the Son of God. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I've got filthy rags on. Jesus is clothed in a robe of righteousness. So when we make covenant, I am now clothed in his righteousness. And he took on my filth and my judgment and my rags and my sin. You get it? It's an exchange. All right. But God, like Jonathan, was willing to take us as we are. And that's the story of the cross. Jonathan took David, just like he was, and gave him his best, his garment, his sword, even where David went, going in and going out, that coat, that sword, that bow went with him. And it represented the token of that covenant he had made with Jonathan. Then we find that after David has become king of Israel and Saul and Jonathan have both been killed in battle, that David is in the palace pondering this thought. It's in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. Is there anyone left in Israel that is a descendant of Jonathan, that I might show kindness to him. Now, kindness is a covenant word. It means covenant faithfulness, grace, goodwill, and favor. And when God shows kindness to you, he's demonstrating favor towards you. So David asked, anybody left in Israel that's a descendant of Jonathan, that I can extend covenant kindness and favor to him? And by the way, if you're a parent and you make covenant with Jesus, that covenant extends to your children, even some bad kids. Oh, yeah, this is good news. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. Then the king asked him, this one of his advisors, is anybody still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Well, Ziba replied, yeah, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, David said. He's in Lodibar. Ziba told him he's at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So this man, who is a descendant, a child of Jonathan, is crippled. He's living in a place called Lodibar. Now, in the Hebrew, the word lo means no. And Debar means pasture, a place of desolation, no glory, no hope. It's a place that is barren, a place that is obscure, a place where there's no fruitfulness. This is a place that sucks. It's really, really bad. And some of you have been there, and some of you are maybe there. So Lodibar represents no glory, a God-forsaken place. I often wonder how many Christians today live in Lodibar. 
Lodibar is not a place for a child of the living God. It is a place of misery. It's a place of oppression. It's a place of captivity and bondage. It's a place you feel like dying every day, throwing up your hands and saying, what's the use? So there's, there's no hope people living in Lodibar because once you escape Lodibar, then everything about it evaporates from your life. You know, people who live in Lodibar, a place of no glory and barrenness, they're told every day, you're never going to get out of Lodibar. You, you deserve this. You were born in a ghetto. You'll never get out. It's desolate. It's barren. It's miserable. Now, I just described somebody's home life that's here today. It's hopeless. Somebody else has debt all around you, and you can't see any hope of ever escaping. You're in Lodibar. When you're sick and you're told, ah, there's no way you'll ever recover, you're in a place of no hope called Lodibar. So Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is living in this wilderness hellhole as a cripple, in poverty, in obscurity. But folks, there is an escape out of Lodibar. And I hope you're ready to get out of that God-forsaken place today. Covenant people do not belong in Lodibar. It's interesting that David did not ask first, is there anybody I can show covenant kindness to who is of nobility, who is highly educated, who dresses well, who understands palace protocol, since he's going to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life? I want somebody who got a little class. But David didn't ask that. He just said, is there anybody that's a descendant of Jonathan? I'm so glad that when God sent Jesus, he didn't send him for the noble or the moral people. He sent him for the likes of you and me, people in Lodibar. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Anybody. See, we keep putting conditions on people, but God didn't. All of us lived in Lodibar. We had no hope. We were unworthy. We were undeserving, but God sent his son anyway. And today, I don't live in Lodibar. Not anymore. There was a time I did. Ah, but no more. My life today is not hopeless. My life today is not miserable. My life today is not one of despair or barrenness. I have challenges every day, but I never have a day that's hopeless. And you should not either. David did not ask, well, tell me something about this guy before I let him come into palace. See, these verses reveal how God can take somebody utterly hopeless, nothing to offer, nothing to live for, and change the course of their entire life where it is almost unbelievable. David remembers his covenant with Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 7. The king spared Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson. Why did he do it? Because of the covenant David and Jonathan had sworn to each other before the Lord. This is a type of the covenant God the Father has made with Jesus that allows you and I to get in on it. And this covenant on God's part is irrevocable and unbreakable. In fact, in Psalms 89, verse 34, he says, My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the thing that has come from my lips. You can depend on this covenant. God will never lie to you. If God says the righteous will never be forsaken, then you can count on it. You might forsake him, 
but he says he will never forsake you. It's sad how many people live in Lodibar out of ignorance, not knowing they don't have to. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Being stupid is not smart. And, and it happens in church a lot. <clears throat> once you gain knowledge of your covenant, once you get your covenant privileges in that brain and you know your rights, you can start packing up because you're not going to stay in Lodibar anymore. <clears throat> I remember when that happened for us and some of you as well. So David asked, is there anybody who's a child of Jonathan that I can show covenant kindness and favor to? It didn't matter to David how this guy Mephibosheth might be living. He didn't care. Just as long as he was a descendant of Jonathan, his covenant brother. He was a covenant man now and entitled to covenant rights because of his relationship to his dad, Jonathan. By the way, doesn't the Bible say the seed, the children of the righteous will inherit the earth, be mighty in the land, wealth and riches will be in their household? It, 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 what I'm saying is everybody's had a problem child that's got kids. Oh, I know you've had one and you think not, but have two. <clears throat> and you'll see. And I can, remember, I can remember praying so many times over that child, all these covenant privileges that I'm going to talk to you about in just a second over that child because they are still there. That child doesn't even have to know it, doesn't even have to believe it, but the favor of God rests upon that child because of a covenant their father made or mom with Jesus. It spreads right over to that family. That's good news. God is a very merciful God. Well, I mean, what did Mephibosheth do to earn anything? Nothing. He was taught every day of his life out in Lodibar. David is the enemy. We got to kill David. He's been raised in their home, indoctrinated, and his belief is totally wrong. That covers a lot of people thinking about God. Totally wrong. See, David was determined Mephibosheth is going to get what he's entitled to. Verse 4, David said, where is this kid? Verse 5, go get him. So the servant went and found him in Lodibar, this place of no hope, the place of desolation, the place Mephibosheth never, ever expected to get out of, a hopeless place. And God wants to bring you and I out of Lodibar as well. There's not a single reason for any believer in this room or watching online to live in a state of hopelessness. Never. The only people entitled to be hopeless are non-believers. If you're a believer in Christ, there is no reason for you to ever be hopeless, barren, unfruitful, desolate, and God-forsaken. We are people of hope. We serve a God of all hope in Corinthians. See, this Bible is filled with hope. And today I want to jack up or boost your morale. This church is filled with people who used to live in Lodibar. I came out of Lodibar, a land of never enough. Nothing grows in barren Lodibar. It's desolate and barren. See, our covenant with God through Jesus Christ, guarantees you do not have to spend the rest of your life in Lodibar. In fact, today, some of you are going to begin moving from Lodibar to the king's palace. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4, David says, where is he? And then in verse 5, go get him. Verse 6 and 7. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. 
I am a dead dog. And David said, don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat there with me at the king's table. So notice what's included when God's favor is upon you, restoration. God will not only bring you out of Lodibar, he will restore everything taken from you. Doesn't Proverbs 6, 31 say, the thief shall restore sevenfold? There's probably not a person in this room or watching online who hasn't had the thief steal from you. It can be material things. It can be emotional. It can be real estate. It could be money. It can be opportunity. God says, I will cause the thief to restore. Now, if you don't know that, then the thief just sits there with your goods smiling while you get plundered because you don't know you have a legal right to rebuke him and enforce that, that thought, that scripture, that word from God, that covenant benefit. The thief is going to restore sevenfold, greater quality, greater kind. It's going to be better than what was taken away. Now, notice Mephibosheth's life is about to drastically change. He never believed he'd get out of Lodibar. He's living in rags. He's disabled. He lives in fear. He probably thought David called him out so he could kill him because when a new king came to the throne, they would kill the offspring of the former administration so they wouldn't rise up and split the kingdom. So they would kill him. So he's thinking, ideologically, David's going to kill me. He's going to gleefully take me out because I've been his enemy. Well, many people think that about God. He's just waiting to get me, just going to get me. He's mean God, going to get me. <clears throat> but when he gets to the palace, rather than harm Mephibosheth, David showed him covenant kindness and favored and promised he would restore to Mephibosheth everything that belonged to him. For years, it's been gone. And David said, <clears throat> from this day on, you're going to eat at my table continually, Sparky. It's going to be a good day for you, my friend. And can you imagine Mephibosheth is thinking, is, am I in a dream? Is this really, why would he be good to me as bad as I've been when I don't deserve this and I've seen him as an enemy? Well, that's who God is. That's, what, that's the benefit we get from God because of our covenant with Jesus. I wasn't worthy one day and neither were you. In one moment, this guy goes from Lodibar to the palace. I mean, think he'd been living like a, a bum on dirty sheets in a run-down place. Now he's going to be in the palace on silk sheets, probably have attendants give him a jacuzzi bath, probably rub, rub him with oil of Olay. I don't know what that is, but I hear it, so must must be good. I can't get Cindy to do that for me, but all right. So never again would he go without. Never again would he live in fear. Never again would he be barren and miserable and hopeless. Favor changed his life forever. And that tells me that if you and I could get in a position where the favor of God is extended upon us, then our lives would be changed forever as well. And I got good news for you this morning. The favor of God is upon the life of every believer, but most don't know it. The favor of God will go before you, will open doors that no man can shut. The favor of God will change rules, regulations, and policies on your behalf. And the favor of God brings blessing into your life and does what money cannot do. 
Proverbs 22.1 says, favor is better than silver and gold. When you have the favor of God, sometimes you don't even need money. It will be provided for you. So I'm begging you, start confessing the favor of God over yourself before you go to work, before you go to school. And when you experience favor, say immediately, that's the favor of God. Then watch it begin to increase day by day until not a day goes by. In some small way, you will experience it on a regular basis, even in significant things. And again, the more you recognize it and declare it, the more you start to see it. You check into a hotel with a confirmation number, and they don't show you having a room. They apologize and say, it's our mistake. We'll upgrade you to a suite. That's favor. That's not the hotel. That's favor. Hotel doesn't care about you. Same on an airline. They upgrade you. It's favor. You're stopped by a patrolman on 281 for going too fast. <laughs> I'm not pointing anybody out. You, you tell him the truth with a good attitude. And he says, well, I'm just going to give you a warning. Slow it down. That's favor. I've had a few of those. I've got the T-shirt. Acknowledge the favor of God every time you experience it, and it starts to increase. Proverbs 14, verse 9 says, fools mock sin, but among the righteous there is Favor, favor. See, you are the righteousness of God in Christ if you are a believer in Jesus. And there is favor on your life. Every believer is entitled to favor, just like Mephibosheth was, because of a covenant between his father Jonathan and David, and for us, because of our covenant with Jesus and his covenant with the Father. Psalms 5. Psalms chapter 5. Verse 1, I mean, verse 11 through 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyfully praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. Verse 12 in the Amplified, I just read it says this, you will surround them with goodwill, pleasure, and favor. Everywhere you go, favor goes with you. And if you get around this person, it's contagious. It starts to come on you. In James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, favor to the humble. See, when you realize the favor of God is on your life, Satan cannot keep you in Lodibar. You begin to expect to leave that horrible place, that God-forsaken place, Lodibar. And believer, you don't belong in Lodibar. You have covenant privileges and rights to escape. You belong in the king's palace. You belong in the land of more than enough. Psalms 30, verse 5. Quit thinking breaking even is good. It's not good. You want a profit, not break even. Well, I'm still alive. All I got bigger ambition than just making it, being alive. You want to thrive, right? And that's what the favor of God will do. In Psalms 30, verse 5, the favor of God lasts a lifetime. It doesn't weaken because you get old. I expect it every day of my life. I decree, I decree it every day of my life. I decree it over my children, over this church, 
over people that I may know that are going through some issue. Favor, favor, up and down and all around. Favor. See, it lasts a lifetime. God himself promises to make us the head and not the tail. We are not below. God says we should be above. That's abundant life. In Psalms 30, verse 7 in the Amplified, it says, By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. See, when God's favor surrounds you, storms won't sink your boat. You're not tossed to and fro like everybody else. You're a victor, not a victim. Psalms 44, first three verses. Oh God, we have heard with our own ears our ancestors, and they told us of all you did in their day. In days long ago, you drove out the pagan nations by your power, and you gave all the land to our ancestors. You crushed their enemies and set our ancestors free. Ah, but listen, they did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strength or strong arm that gave them victory. It was your right hand and strong arm and the blinding light from your face that helped them for you favored them. What got them that, what got them that land and won those battles? The favor of God. Wasn't their own strength their own creativity, their own ability. When the favor of God's on your life, God will fight battles for you that you don't have to fight. God hands it over to you. The world will call you lucky. God calls you favored. I don't know. I hope you're getting a little thirst for some of that. See, you'll get a raise when it isn't called for. What? You'll get a position when you don't have seniority. It's the favor of God. Psalms 89. Verse 17 says, Thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted. The Amplified says, By your favor our horn is exalted, and we walk with uplifted faces. When God's favor is upon you, you don't walk around with your head hanging down like you did in Lodibar, barren, fruitless, odorless, colorless, tasteless, sterile, Bland, no, no, no. When I know I'm favored of God, head goes up. You came in with head down, you're going out today with your head up. See, God, God's favor is over you. He wants you looking, I'm expectant. Yeah, and I didn't deserve it, don't earn it, but I'm smart enough to know Jesus did. And I'm getting to take part in what he won on the cross. Now, first Adam lost everything. Last Adam. Last Adam, Jesus got it all back. And when I step out of the old man, Adam, by faith, and I'm born again into the new man, last Adam, ha-ha, I am now part of that second man generation, new creation. And everything Adam lost, we get it back in Jesus. You have authority. You have the right to be fruitful, to be productive. Well, I didn't know that. Well, I know. You were in Lodi Bar, dummy, with the rest of us. I didn't know either. You don't know your rights, you don't know your privileges, so you do without them. Have you ever discovered something you didn't know and you thought, I didn't know that? Shoot, that makes it much easier. Well, yeah, for sure. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. You walk in here like you're a May Mayflower moving van loaded with furniture. Psalms 41, verse 11. By this I know that you favor me because my enemy does not triumph 
over me. How can you tell if the favor of God is over your life? Every time Satan attacks, and he will, he loses. Amen. Every time. Now, he, you go in a battle, but you win. He'll lose. Psalms 106, verse 4. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that you bore unto the people. Visit me with thy salvation. The Amplified says, Earnestly remember me, O Lord, when you favor your people. O visit me also when you deliver them. In other words, don't pass me by. If there's ever a time you intend to favor your people, then Lord, include me. Psalms 102. Verse 13, thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has now come. See, God has set a time to shower the church with favor like never before. This is our year, Summit. Get your head up. 2024 is our year of divine, unusual favor. Psalms 102, verse 15. So the heathen, those without Jesus shall hear, I shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. Now that lines up with Isaiah chapter 60 where he says the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. So at a time the world is experiencing darkness, it sure is, the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. When the world gets darker and darker, the church is supposed to get brighter and brighter. The path of the righteous is brighter day by day, not duller. See, and people are attracted to what's on you. They don't know what it is. We know what it is. It's the glory of God, the favor of God. And it comes upon his people, upon the church. Psalms 102, verse 16. And when the Lord shall build up Zion, the church, he shall appear in his glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Now that implies we've experienced some favor in a measure from the Lord, but now it's going to increase. The Amplified Bible says that he will demonstrate in the ages to come the immeasurable, the limitless, and the surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. He's not like you. He's not like me. And I am so glad. He is awesome. This is our mighty God. This is our covenant. See, we're a generation to be favored like no other previous generation in history. It'll be immeasurable, limitless. It will surpass anything you've known before. You're going to be saying to your wife, some of you men, some of you business ladies in real estate, can you believe that? Here you are, a believer. Can you believe this? That's what favor will do for you. Acts 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The Amplified Bible says, And great grace, loving kindness, and favor, and goodwill rested richly upon them all. That is your covenant privilege. These people wore the favor of God like a coat. So today, begin to confess the favor of God over your life. Begin to walk out of Lodibar. It's your believer's privilege. 
Now I'm going to give you, you can look at the screen, I'm going to give you quickly 10 benefits of walking in divine favor. Benefit number one, Genesis 39, verse 21, supernatural increase and promotion. Believe for it. Declare it. Second benefit, Exodus 3, 21, restoration of all the enemy has stolen from you. That's your right. You can sit there with your cup of coffee and sulk, or you can get on your feet and declare what God said is your right and privilege. Third benefit, Exodus 11, uh, verse 3. Honor in the midst of your adversaries. Like Joseph being promoted in the midst of his brothers who sold him into captivity. You know how to get even? Get promoted. Make your enemies weep. Don't kill your enemy. Let them live to see you succeed, just as God promised. Fourth benefit, Deuteronomy 33, 23. Increased assets, especially in real estate. Benefit number five, Joshua 11, verse 20. The greatest victories you've ever known in the midst of the most impossible odds. Benefit six, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 22 recognition and promotion when you seem to be the least likely to get it. Remember little Esther? She's a Hebrew slave. She's a captive in a foreign land. She gets to come before the king and ultimately become queen. Shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And that's what you want God to do for you. Shouldn't have happened, but it did. It was the favor of God. Benefit number seven, Esther 2, verse 17 prominence and preferential treatment. Number eight, Esther 5, verse 8, petitions granted even by ungodly authorities, governmental authorities, permits, zoning. When it wouldn't be done, couldn't be done, when it had been rejected, they give you favor and they permit it. They overrule it or they change it. Number, number nine, Esther 8, verse 5, Policies, rules, regulations, and even some laws, if necessary, are changed or reversed to your advantage. Remember, the king reversed the decree to kill all the Hebrews in captivity. Yeah, he reversed it. You can change a law or a policy in a company for your benefit. And number 10, Psalms 44, verse 3, battles won in which you don't even have to fight because God says, I'll fight this battle for you. Good news. Now, I'd get a podcast and take a legal pad and write those 10 down and the scripture and confess them every single day. Confess them every single day. In fact, I'm doing all the talking. You're doing all the sitting. Stand up with me. We're going to make a confession about the favor of God. You ready? You see it up there now? I want to read it together with you. Ready? In the name of Jesus... I am the righteousness of God. Therefore, I am entitled to covenant kindness and covenant favor. The favor of God is upon the righteous. The favor of God surrounds the righteous. Therefore, it surrounds me. Everywhere I go, everything I do, I expect the favor of God to be in manifestation. Never again will I be without the favor of God. Satan, 
My days in Lodi Bar are over today. I am leaving that place because the favor of God is upon me. It rests richly upon me. It profusely abounds in me. And I'm part of the generation that will experience it immeasurably, limitless, and surpassing. Therefore, favor produces in my life supernatural increase, promotion, restoration, honor, increased assets, greater victories, recognition, prominence, preferential treatment, petitions granted, policies and rules changed, and battles won in which I need not fight. Thank you, Lord God. Come on, give God a big shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for divine favor over this church, over this people, over our families, over our children, over our health, over our businesses, over our finances. Favor, Lord, divine favor. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.